I'm going to ask Helen to come up and join me, and I'm going to ask her a couple of questions before she gets to speak. Is your mic working? I think so. No. Can you all hear Helen's mic? Yeah. Great. Um, and, I mean, in this church, we are so grateful to the work of Scripture Union, uh, both for our kids. Oh, is she too close to or do we need to move apart? <laughs> I take this one. Right. Bye. How's that? Is that okay? I think so. Um, just all the work that it does during the summer with the SISMs, with the camps, during the year with uh, work in the, church, in the schools, and then all the young people that you take and train and all the teams. So in Windsor, we love Script Union. Very grateful to them. But tell us what your role is. Okay. Well, can I just echo that? Um, I was really looking forward to coming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was really looking forward to coming here this morning because I have to say, I know I don't know all of you, but I feel like I know a lot of you. And it's because I've served alongside you. You have been on mission teams or camp teams with me. You have been very much part of SU. SU is not me or the staff team in the building. SU is all of us that pitch in or with camps, missions and schools. And so I just want to say a thank you to you. Um, I also know there's many of you who maybe aren't serving now but have served in the past. So thank you to that to you as well. Um, I think there's a lot of you that are very much part of who SU is and what it, is, uh, what it does. So just my underlining thanks. Did she answer my question? No. No. Um, what do I do? I suppose I have the privilege of leading the team. I have a great staff team um, uh, in SU, and I have the privilege of leading the team. And no week is the same. Uh, this week is a whole host of different things going on. At the weekend, we're running our pupil leadership for uh, fifth and sixth formers, trying to train them. So the team will be down running that for this weekend, and I'll pop in and try and support and encourage them. Um, we're, I'm also involved in editing a book about youth ministry. So I've got a meeting, a book meeting about that this week. Uh, I've got, uh, got some work to do around we're trying to recruit uh, a couple, a new staff post in the autumn, somebody to come and lead our camp submissions, so if any of you are interested, watch the website. So my job is a whole mix of things, from managing the staff, trying to make sure I suppose we're going in like, that direction. And for me this year, as I've entered September, my big question that I've kind of posed to the staff and got a council meeting in a couple of weeks' time and I'll be throwing out to them is, what does it mean to be a mission movement? What does it mean to be a mission movement? What do we do? What do I do as Helen, uh, as someone who is following Jesus, just me? What do I do in my role as director of Script Union to point people to Jesus? And I'm just really trying to grab that question. It's not a new question for us, but grab that question and, and think, God, what do you want to say to us in 2014, 2015? So it's a really exciting uh, movement to be part of. I love the opportunities that we get every day to help kids, help teenagers find out a little bit more about Jesus. And a huge thanks to you that are part of making that happen. How can we pray for you for next week? Um, uh, I love a good to-do list. I don't know what you're like. And I have, uh, tomorrow morning, I have no meetings. And I've, I love blocking out wee parts of the, of the week with uh, no meetings and I can just get through my to-do list. So just, could you pray for that? Just the practicalities of that. Just, there's things I need to prepare for. Uh, there's things I need to write. I would just love that that would just come together. And we'll cut, just wisdom. Oh, never can ask for wisdom enough. So pray that I would have wisdom in the incoming week. Can we pray for you? Lovely. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we just pray for Helen. We thank you for the work of Scripture Union. And just as there are so many different uh, strands to be pulled together and things to be coordinated and so many to-do lists to get through, give Helen wisdom as she goes through all of that list. 
But Father, also for the things that crop up from left field and unexpected, we also pray that you will give her grace and patience to deal with those as well. And Father, as she comes as your servant, as she opens your word, we pray that we will hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me start over here. Uh, I love having people around for dinner. Uh, and I have to confess, it's not because I love cooking or tidying the house before people come, though it is a great excuse for a tidy up. I love the chat around the table. Now, I've tried to set this out. It's not necessarily your orange plastic chairs that you have at home, um, but you get the idea. I love those nights where you sit around the table and chat for hours. There's something really special about those times. The good tablecloth comes out, the special place mats, the good glasses, the good plates, the napkins. I mean, you know that you're in for a treat. I love that sense of together, that sense of sharing life, of good chats, plenty of laughter, that sense of being at home. We need those, don't we? Those times when we are just ourselves with people who know us and love us. I want this morning to share with you a couple of stories. The most important one is from the Bible, uh, one from a book and several from my life that I hope might help you explore something more of God. I don't know what you think of him or how you perceive him, but I find him to be more welcoming than we realise more patient than we care to consider, and more forgiving than we acknowledge. But let's consider those things for ourselves. Can I pray as we begin? And God, very simply, my prayer is, may we know more of you today. Amen. I'll come back to the table at the end. Uh, I want to read you a story tucked away in the middle of Luke, a story that you will know under the title of The Prodigal Son. The Prodigal Son is one of the old classics. It's a story up there with David and Goliath, Joseph and his technicolored dream coat, and the wee boy with his packed lunch. For those of us who grew up in church circles, we know these stories inside out. We've grown fond of them. Uh, there's maybe memory of fuzzy felt or dramas with tea towels children's Bible story books, and in some ways our first learnings of God. And so it can be a bit of nostalgia to whip these stories out, the same way as at Christmas we watch Miracle on 34th Street or It's a Wonderful Life. There's a coziness to these stories. And so in some ways, why bother? Should we just cut our losses and head home right now? Will anything change because we've taken time to look at this parable? You might know this story, you might have heard it countless times, but I wonder could we be open to push through the familiarity of the story and allow the parable to come afresh into my life and your life and allow me and you to live differently in the light of its truth. It's a big ask, but let's see how we get on. Let's read the story. Uh, Turn with me to Luke 15. Or maybe... Maybe sit back 
and listen intently to this story afresh. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here am I starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, And against you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring a best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, What's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You have never gave me even a young coat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you fill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus' storytelling is fascinating. They're not just simply tales. He's trying to unlock the secrets of heaven. He was trying to open the eyes of the listeners to life in all its fullness. This story is for you, but it's also for you to pass on. The story of the lost son is a story of many people. It's a story of many nations, tribes, countries that lose their way. It's the story of many men and women who lose sight of what they have in God and want their own thing. It's a story many of us have found ourselves swallowed up in circumstances that seem to be spiraling out of control, as if we could control the world anyway. It's a story not just of our yesterdays, but maybe our tomorrows. It's a story not just for you, 
but generations that will follow. And maybe this story hints at what this whole book is about. The whole story, the love of a father for his children. Maybe this story opens our eyes to the dream, the other world, the greater calling, the great hope, the actual reality of life in all its fullness. So tilt our ears and to hear the story of Jesus. If parables are about unlocking keys to heaven, why does Jesus want to tell us a story? What does he want to unlock? What does God want us to know? Hold that question today. What does God want us to know? Can I tell you another rather silly story? There once was a rabbit called Don Rabbit. Don Rabbit went to Slumptown Coffee every morning. And one morning at Slumptown, Don Rabbit saw Lovely Carrot. Don Rabbit decided to chase Lovely Carrot. But Lovely Carrot was very fast. And Don Rabbit chased Lovely Carrot all over Oregon. And all over America, all the way to New York. And Don Rabbit chased Lovely Carrot all the way to the moon. But Don Rabbit was very, very tired. And with one last burst of strength, Don Rabbit lunged at Lovely Carrot. And Don Rabbit caught Lovely Carrot. The moral of the story is that if you work hard, stay focused, never give up, you will eventually get what you want in life. Unfortunately, shortly after the story was told, Don Rabbit choked on the carrot and died. So the second moral of this story is sometimes the things that we want most in life are the things that will kill us. Sometimes there is more than one ending to a story. Sometimes we believe one ending, but we live another. Sometimes there is more than one ending to a story. Sometimes we believe one ending, but we live another. Let's look at the story Jesus told. Can I tell you it again? Jesus tells the story of the younger son who took his inheritance early. He left home and he had a blast. He lived, loved, and spent, spent, spent. And then famine struck the whole country and he found himself beyond help. He was the lowest of the low, took on job as a hired hand and fed pigs for a living. Even food of the pigs seemed good. This was a guy who was beyond his depths. And I don't know how long it took, but as he thought about home, he remembered how his father had looked after his servants. Better than this. And if he went home and became a hired hand to his dad, well, that would be better than this. So he headed home. And it seems his dad saw him coming and ran to meet his lost son. And when they were close enough to touch, the dad, the dad threw his arm out and gave his son the hardest, toughest punch he could and hit him straight across the jawline. And then he looked at the fallen son as he lay at his feet. How dare you return? I've waited for an apology for years now, and it never came. You wished me dead? Well, I am to you now. I am dead to you. I want you to get up, and I want you to walk away. Only this time, it is I who am throwing you off. 
the father, with tears in his eyes, turned around and slowly walked away back to his home. The lost son lay on the ground, stunned into silence. And yet he knew in his gut that his dad was right. Why did he think he could come back? Who did he think he was kidding? He didn't deserve to come back as a hired hand. He didn't deserve to be back in the family home. He had made the greatest mistake of his life, and now he would pay for it forever. He would live as an orphan, live on his own. Would he live? Who knows? But he had brought this on, and there was no one to blame but himself. The lost son was lost forever. Sometimes there's more than one ending to a story. Sometimes we believe one ending, but we live another. Isn't this the story that we really believe? Isn't this the story that we really tell ourselves? Isn't this the story that we really tell each other? We wander away from God. We fear the reception if we turn back, and so we're hesitant to return. We live from a place of limited love, struggle then to love ourselves and love others, because if we tasted the all-consuming, never-ending love of the Father. And would we trust it, even if we did? We wander as orphans. Yes, Jesus told this story, but did he really want us to know how much the Father loves us? Because if I was loved that much, surely I would be different because of it. I mean, even the older son didn't see how much he was loved, and he lived with the father. Sometimes we live one end, we believe one ending and live another. Which one do you live? I know it isn't the one that Jesus told, but it's a better one, it's truer. I mean, Let's face it, we muck up, we pay the cost. Love have its limits. It's not wild and unconditional. I mean, I let people all the down, all, uh, let people down all the time. Who am I to believe that God is any different? It's easier this way. You get what you deserve. You get to be king of your own world. Even if it all goes pear-shaped, there is no one to blame but yourself. And it gives some comfort in some way because it gives some illusion that I'm in control. You never, you may never have had money to squander, or maybe you will. You've never had the high life, or maybe you will. You may have never bought your friends, or maybe you do. But I wonder, have you found yourself in a distant land and woken up and realized that you are poverty-stricken when the levels of life are on empty? And when you find yourself there, what do you think God is doing? What do you think is he expecting what reception do you expect? When I was in final year at school, I had a part-time job in a local mace store down the road from where I lived. And during my shift, my mum left the car down for me so I could drive back home. It was great. I passed my test now, and so I had a bit more freedom. And so my shift finished, and home I headed. It was only a really short drive to the state where we lived. And as I turned the car into the drive, I realised I had turned it too tight. And I could hear that sound of the gate scraping against the edge of the car. It was one of those awful moments 
where whatever angle I had done, I realized if I went forward, I would scrape the car. If I went backward, I would scrape the car. And so you kind of just hold, breathe in, like as if that's going to make any difference, and ease the car forward, hearing the scraping sound all the time. I parked the car, I went into the house, Mum and Dad were in bed, I can remember it really clearly, and I went into my room and I literally paced up and down in my bedroom, summering up the courage to tell them what had happened. I just knew that they would throw a fit. Uh, you know what I mean, all the usual lines, I told you to be careful, oh Helen, what have you done? And then the look, the look that makes you feel even more guilty. So after a bit of pacing, I went to, uh, uh, into the room and kind of held my breath and said, I've scraped the car, I came into the drive at the wrong angle, and I've caught the side of the car. And as soon as the words were out, I braced myself for the onslaught of annoyed words and disappointment. But it didn't come. My dad very calmly said, well, these things happen. I'll take a look. And he pulled on his jeans and his jumper and went out and he came back and he says, it's not so bad, don't worry. I was knocked for six. I had totally expected this onslaught and instead I received this calm acceptance. We live in a world today that teaches us to value independence. We strive to be financially independent, have enough money to pay rent or mortgages, go on holidays, buy stuff. We strive to be emotionally independent, whatever that means. I think it used to mean that you could buy a jumper uh, and you didn't have to ask your mums if it looked okay. Um, but now I think emotionally independent means that it's turned broken-hearted into hard-hearted. It's easier to build walls than to risk the pain of another relationship, another hurt, another letdown. And as bitter as it might sound, the pain of relationships is real. And so we just avoid that pain at all costs. We've bought into the lies of our age and we lose out in the generous graciousness of the stories of God. That ending that I told, it is a waste of time to hold on to it because there is only one ending to this story. And it's a painful one because it asks you to let someone love you. It asks you to give up your warped sense of justice. It asks you to respond, to love like the Father, to be generous and patient and constant. Unlocking the secrets of heaven aren't meant to make us feel cosy. Unlocking the secrets of heaven, opening our eyes and ears to God that leaves an indelible mark on our lives that we are spoilt to live any other way. When you are loved this much, what other response can you have? I want to not just know the ending Jesus told, but to live it as well. And not just for those moments of conversion or recommitment, but all those days of my life about living in the reality of the Father's love. Love that always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, never fails. Sometimes we believe one ending and live the other. Let that not be true. Will you live and believe and tell? 
The star of the story is not the son. The key character to watch is not the prodigal, it's the father. The father sets the tone for the whole story. And it's the same for our lives, isn't it? I focus on me, what's going on with me. And even when I read the Bible, I jump too quickly into what does it say for me, about me, where do I fit in? But in recent years, I've been trying to ask myself, the first question to be, what does it tell me about God? For it's the Father that sets the tone. And if that's the case in this story, is that the case in our lives? Does he set the tone in your life? Maybe the backdrop to this, you consider uh, your story, the story of your life. Is the Father setting the tone in your story? Are you changed because of his presence? Jesus says, when he was a long way off, his Father saw him, was filled with compassion, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. What a welcome. What a reception. How does this insight into the Father change you? How has it changed you? How is it changing you? How has the full acceptance of the Father changed you? Have you had this embrace? Are you different because of it? For surely we can't come face to face with such love and not be a different person. It might sit uncomfortably with us, this gracious mercy of God. It might sit uncomfortable with us, the reception we get when we don't deserve. But we need the beauty of these stories. We need the beauty of God in our life. Because reality is, I wander far from home at times. And I need to know that this God of the universe is not human in the limits of his love or thinking of power. The God of the universe is different than you and I. He is bigger and more generous than we can comprehend. And in those moments when I turn back, in those moments where I need to return to his arms, in those moments I get great insight into the great heart of the Father. How well do you know him? How would you describe him? Did you notice the account in Luke 15 um, uh, begins with the words of the Pharisees? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus allows the stories that, to, that follow to explain the why. Because this God has a heart filled with compassion. You are welcome. Come, he says. God is generous with his love. I want to not just believe Jesus' ending, but live it too. Live in the generous love of God. And I think this is partly why this parable is uncomfortable. Because it calls such love out of us. It asks us to be like this. It's easy for life to cause us to shut down and hide a little. When life throws us a curveball or someone shatters your heart, Um, Do you pick yourself up and love again? And this is not just boy-girl stuff or relationship. This is the stuff of community, of church, of how we treat our colleagues, our neighbours, even our strangers, even how we treat ourselves. You're watched by a God who longs for you to come to him so he can throw his arms around you and kiss you. At the end of the story... The gifts the father gives his son, the robe, the rings, the sandals. God is reminding us of our position and our acceptance. We are invited 
back home to stay. We need to know this story. We need to know this because things in life will rock us, rob us, push at us. We need roots that go deep. You are always welcome. His love never runs out. These are truths we need to hear, need to keep on hearing, because life constantly tells us different. God pours himself across the pages of this book, accounts of history, people's life story, quotes and tales that give us insight into the God of gods. Will you listen? Will you hear? Sometimes there is more than one ending to the story. Sometimes we believe one ending, yet live the other one. Am I prepared for this parable to come afresh into my life and for me to live differently in the light of its truth? Which ending will you live? Can I finish this morning back at the table where I began? As the story of Jesus rattles around your head, I want you to linger on the picture of the God who loves and who never stops loving. And in case you're any doubt, can I say there's a place at the table for you. Sometimes we're very good at comparing ourselves to other people and we come out the lesser. But I want you to know this God who is generous with his love, patient with his love, constant with his love and a heart that forgives isn't just offering that to the person in front of you or behind you. This story is for all of us. So know that you're welcome. I believe God wants to share his life with us. I believe he wants to enter in and be present with the ups and the downs. So as you leave here this morning, carry two images in your head. The father who, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And secondly, the father who sits at the table and invites you to join him. There is space for you. Let me pray. God, let us not hide behind familiarity. Let us wrestle with this story. Let us consider what we believe and what we live. But above all, may we know afresh this morning of that great unconditional love of the Father who says, you are welcome. Amen. Tablecloth, cutlery, glasses, plates, serviettes, all that are missing are the guests. Will you carry this picture with you? The table is set. The welcome. The image of the father watching for his son. You are welcome. Thank you.